divulge some things that the Lord has laid on my heart. And uh, I'll not be real long-winded today, but just long enough. Amen. I guess the children can go back to Children's Church. Is Rhonda taking care of that today? Huh? Oh, okay. Who's got the other ones? Amber, okay. <laughs> okay, two different classes. Amen. So um, the smaller children go back to one room and Rhonda and Amber's got the other ones. Bless their hearts. Amen. Amen. Whoever's got uh, Eli, bless their hearts. <laughs> Amen. So, uh, listen, go, go with me. How many knows that, that, that we're in a season, I say this all the time, that we're in a season of transition? And I don't know if you realize this tonight or today, but it's, it's as though that we have taken um, the numbers... Uh, game up with because let me just put it this way in Rome um, they could change the value of something by a number they could it's like today you can take a a piece of paper and you can add a zero to it instead of having five dollars you've got 50 change the face of who's uh, a, a president or whoever that represents and it changes the value of it and so we we measure things that way by, by numerical value. And it seems as, as you increase the numbers on that, it increases the value of that. So we too think that if you increase numbers, it adds value to what you have. But that's not the way the kingdom of God operated. The kingdom of God, when they, when they uh, function in the kingdom of God, how many remembers when Jesus said, uh, I send you, buy of me gold? Gold wasn't weighed or gold wasn't valued at how high the number was. Gold is, is, is weighed or valued in increments like, like grams. And so what he's talking about is not literal gold. It is something that is outside of that realm of us uh, equating something to how large the number is. And that's why that we have seen a, an increase in church numbers, but the impact of that has been minimal. <clears throat> you, you understand what I'm saying? So as, as the, because we have placed value, a greater value on numbers more than we have content. The weight. How many knows that uh, uh, the scripture talks about the weighty glory or the weighty presence of God? And when it's talking about that, it's not talking about value like we would value something in numbers, but it's about the presence of God that equates to him being there. That's why Jesus said where there are two or three gathered together in my name, there am I. Or, or as we would put it, there he is. So the ideal of us putting the value on the numbers is not really what the kingdom of God is all about. Though we like numbers, that doesn't mean that there is more of the presence of God there. And it doesn't mean that there are more 
that they are more adequate in their approach. Now, they have money to do things, but, but very little is changing the culture that we're in. And I've found that I don't want to just go along to get along. I don't want to just follow the numbers, and we could do that. I could do that. But I don't want to follow the numbers just so I can feel like I'm accomplishing something. I want to be more effective, even if it's in a small group. I want to be more impactful in people's lives. And we need to look at that as though that we can't, we too can be impactful on people's lives so that we don't get caught up in that number thing. And that's what happens to a lot of people. Uh, they'll travel uh, distances and they'll have a small crowd show up and they get discouraged. And they think that that's about numbers. It's not about numbers. Because you can change one person's life and that person take it to heart what God has called them to do and they will influence a whole culture. Matter of fact, they will be a culture unto themselves. I, I, I hope I'm, you're, I'm getting through to you. Because if we just follow along or go along to get along or get along to go along, we come to the conclusion, we, we wind up, and that's why I don't listen to a lot of stuff outside because... Because outside of what God wants to talk to you about or lead you in, if you're not careful, that's why it's real dangerous for people to bounce around everywhere. Because they, their mind gets crowded with all kinds of influence and all kinds of stuff. And before you know it, they don't know what to believe in. They, they don't know what, they don't know. They don't know where to stand, where to go. And usually they wind up getting abused somewhere down the road. They'll get, they'll get mistreated, misbused, and because we have, uh, though we have 10,000 instructors, we have not many fathers. A father will take time and he will, he will endure years of stress and pressure and, and, and conflict to train and to teach and to, uh, and to pour into you. And that's why Jesus never, he never raised up people or a, the disciples to be just, just here and there. Are you following me? I, I, is it making sense to you? So what we have now is we've got this conflict, this transition where there are people that are now saying, wait a minute, I need something deeper than just, just that normal stuff. If you read the Old Testament, I was telling Phyllis on the road uh, coming over here, and uh, um, I, read a I, read, I ordered a book and I got it yesterday and I read the whole thing yesterday. I did. I, I just like, it'd been a while since I got to sit down and read. So I did. And, uh, uh, but one of the things that he said was, was that, that the Old Testament and everything in it, it and, and it's all good, but all those things that they, that they done have stopped. All the things, all the sacrifices and all the altars and all that stuff has stopped. Do you know why it stopped? Because it, it, didn't, it didn't bring a continuing forgiveness. It didn't invite them to a continual covering. And it was based, listen to this, it was based, if you really look at it, it was based on, on the sensuality, not sensual, but on the, on the senses of humanity. It was, it was set up in the desert and they had to rely on what they saw what they heard, what they smelled, burnt sacrifice, and the thing, uh, incense, 
it relied a lot on the five senses and, and the things that they could do. So when you come over in the New Testament, it is, not, it is not based on any of those five senses at all. And I didn't see the connection until actually this morning to where the, the Jesus looks at Peter and says, who revealed this unto you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, "Thou art the." Some say you're Elias or Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Some say you're this or that or the other. He said, "Well, Peter, that's fine and good. How, those that say that that are connected to that old." He said, "But Peter, who do you say that I am?" Come on, somebody. So, so Peter turns around and said, uh, "You're the Christ. You're the Anointed One." And then Jesus says, watch what he says, flesh and blood has not revealed the son to you. In other words, you didn't get this revelation by the stuff that we have, that has been represented through all those generations. He said, this came by revelation of the spirit. So what he's saying, and he said flesh and blood. So the five senses, taste, touch, smell, seeing, feel, all those things didn't bring this to you. In other words, he's saying all that stuff that was based on those things didn't bring this to you. He said, and neither blood. It didn't come by the, uh, it wasn't handed down in your DNA. It didn't come by mama or papa or grandpa and grandma. It didn't come by any of that. What you have right now has has come by the revelation of the Spirit of God. So what I'm trying to tell you is, is that what the transition from the old to the new was really because Judaism, and, and we know this, but Judaism, if you studied, it was really steeped in, in the organization of doing things ritually, is going through the things, going through the motions, going through this, couldn't come in. Only certain people could go in the holiest of holies and only the priests could operate in that court. Only those that were chosen in the Levitical priesthood and in that in that order they can they could only participate in things to, that were associated with the holy but here comes the Jesus look at somebody and say here comes Jesus he's the ultimate sacrifice he's the one that's going to take care of everything he's the one that's going to conclude all those things when Jesus cried it is finished he wasn't just talking about what he did on the cross he was talking about all that stuff he was talking about taking people that were dis qualified from the organization of religion and bringing them through the revelation of the spirit and giving them qualified ability to walk in the priesthood to walk in ministry to give the ministry of reconciliation he's reconciled us unto himself see everybody says that Jesus died alone he did not die alone God was in him God was in him. Scripture says, for the God was in him, reconciling the world unto himself. So he was not, and if you take that at, at face value, if you take that to heart, you understand that as he has, he was reconciling the world unto himself. Now he has given to us who are born again, praise God, the ministry of reconciliation. Not if you're a preacher. 
Not if you're ordained minister through some organization. He has given all of us, every one of us that's been born again, a ministry of reconciliation. Now, if God can come in through Christ, in Christ, through Christ, and how many knows he didn't just start this thing? It was way back before anything was created. Before the world was formed, before the foundations of the world. Hello, somebody. He had all, you were already chosen in Christ. The scripture says, uh, before the foundation of the world. He already knew what he was going to do. He already knew man was going to fall. He already knew the morality was going to plummet. He already knew all that stuff. And he stepped out in, in the future and started everything. And then he backed up, backed up who he was and then let it go. Praise God, because he knew the end from the beginning. He knew what he was going to do. He knew the sacrifice that was going to be made so that you and I could one day be in that position to have the ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling, bringing people back to God. And he wasn't going to go, go through the order of religion like it had been. It was going to be open to every man, woman, boy, and girl that accepted his sacrifice from that cross that said, I'll make him the Lord of my life. He'll lead me and guide me. I'll die to myself and come alive in the kingdom of God. Hello somebody. Look at your neighbor and say we all have a ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean ministry of reconciliation? What does that imply? It means that you have the ability, the God given permission to lead others. Hello somebody. To lead people back to Jesus. Wow. Listen, he didn't come. Now, boy, that's going to get in good stuff. Remember what Jesus said? He that hath an ear, let him hear. Uh, I, man, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to dig into this. I'm going to take my time. He that hath an ear. Well, how many of you don't have ears? Having eyes to see, they see not. How many of you are blind? He didn't come to redeem this. He didn't die so that he could redeem this. He come to redeem back our spirits or our spiritual minds that were, that were abused in the garden. He came and shed his blood so that he could eliminate, completely obliterate the lies of Lucifer or Satan in the garden and bring us back into God thinking. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church. Not to this building, but to the church. Look at somebody say, I'm the, I am the church. And it may shock you, but in the Greek, they didn't use the word church. The word that is associated that they changed to say church, it is literally the word ecclesia. He, uh, and he said, you are that ecclesia. And the ecclesia thinks different. 
He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying unto the ecclesia, unto those that are going to raise the moral fortitude and standard back to wait, not the way that just Judaism wanted it, but to the way that God intended it to always be. Pure, holy, honest. I, had, I, I read a thing, uh, a pastor that I know, I don't know him personally, but I, he's associated with many other, and he wrote something that I almost flipped my lid on. And I, he did, and, and boy said something, me and Sean and boys were talking at the funeral the other day, and Sean said, well, what do you want me to do? And I said, I don't know, you just preach, you know. And Boyce looks over and says, well, let's not just say anything stupid. <laughs> I thought that was so good. Because Boyce, because Boyce said, so many preachers get up and say stupid stuff. And I, yeah, they do, don't they? They just say, you know, like, like, tomorrow, tomorrow, we, but, but it's Sean saying, don't do it. But here, I, ain't, I won't go there. Uh, but here's the, I, but this guy said, uh, positive thinking doesn't help anything. When I read that, I just want to go, what? Jesus said, think, because I don't know what it is. I don't know why, because when we get saved, we think that we shouldn't use our, our minds anymore. I mean, a, some good common sense would help a lot of church folks. It would really help a lot of people. If we would just show some people out there that we do have and I'm not, and I'm not belittling, but it's just, it's just that we act like that if, if you've got to think about something, you're just not spiritual. That ain't true at all. Paul said, uh, think on these things. That means use your noodle. Get all the junk out. Think on the things that are pure, honest, of a good report, lovely, holy. Think on these things. So I'm like, yeah. And I almost wrote that in there. I thought, no, it ain't worth me wasting my time because it would just be an argument. But somehow or another, we think that being having a positive attitude and a positive way of thinking about things doesn't, doesn't equate to being um, uh, uh, spiritual. But it is spiritual. It's very spiritual. It's very, somebody said to me one time, well, getting married ain't a spiritual thing. Oh, it's a very spiritual thing. And you may not even be saved, but it's spiritual because God ordained the family before he ever did the church. It's, it's a nuclear uh, 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 family. It is that that God intended to keep things going. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm getting off on other things, but I want to get back to my subject at, at, at hand here. So he's saying, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Having eyes to see, they do not see, but they had eyes. He wasn't talking about their natural eyes, and he wasn't talking about the natural ears. He was talking about that spirit man on the inside. That part of you that can't be held, be beheld by the natural ability. And when God came to redeem us, he didn't just come to redeem this flesh. That's your job to keep it under submission. 
That's your job with a changed mind, changed attitude, and a changed way of thinking to keep that under subjection. Hello, that, look at somebody say, he didn't just abandon everything, he gave you something to do. So you have to keep your thinking under control. You have to, that's where the scripture says, bringing every thought into captivity under the obedience of Christ, having a readiness to avenge all disobedience. That's part of that. So we have to, you have, you have part and partial of that, but God didn't come to say this. You've got to sanctify this. Sanctify it. How many remembers, you don't hear that word in church anymore. How many knows what sanctified is? Sanctified is being separate, set apart, different than. It's almost like the word holy. The word holy doesn't mean um, we equate holy to being somebody that don't drink, don't cuss, don't chew, don't, and that's part of it. But holy means separate and, and above. So he was, when, when the angels, listen to this, when those four-faced creatures are flying around the throne, and we think we're weird, have you ever read the book of Revelation? I was, I was digging into some of that the other day, and it was describing Revelation 4, and it was describing, um, it, it was describing the, the throne, and it says, and he that sat on the throne, and around the throne was an emerald rainbow, you know, it was like green glow around the throne, a green glow, around, like emerald around the throne, and, the 20, and, and then there was, uh, a sea glass, and then there was 24 elders sitting on thrones around it with flaming, like flaming torches in front of them, and all of them had crowns on, and I'm going, man. And then they had four creatures, four-faced, different-faced creatures, and guess what? They, they were all different. One was like an eagle, one was like a man, one was like an ox, and the other one was like a lion. And they were around the throne, and they had eyes, they had eyes before them and eyes behind them. They were six-winged creatures. They had eyes under their wings. That sounds science fiction to me. And I know, I know that John never saw nothing like that outside of the spirit. Hello. I mean, you when you read that, you're going like, man, what was he on? Where did his spaceship land? When you read that, and all these different four-faced creatures are flying around the throne while all this other stuff's going on, and they're crying. Guess what they're crying? Holy, 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 night and day, day and night. And they never say nothing else. That's all they ever say. You know what? When they're crying holy, they're saying uh, uh, separated and high above everything else. Different from, higher than everything else. Set apart from higher than everything else. So when you get into that place, and how many knows how holy is not something you put on. Holy is something that happens to you when you get born again. We don't teach that. But that's the way it is. You can't put on holiness of God. Holy comes when you're born again. That is part of, that's part of being sanctified. That's part of 
being righteous. That's part of being saved, delivered. Because now your thinking changes and your thinking, but your, your actions begin to reflect what your mind has been changed. I don't drink no more because in my mind, I don't want to do that. Sometimes deliverance doesn't come in a nicely little packaged thing. Sometimes it comes in and interrupts your whole flow. But here's the idea. God didn't come to deliver us from or to save this thing. He came to save and get our minds back on track. Now watch what happens here. Do you remember the scripture where it says that it talks about this, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my time. I'm going to try to break this down. How many knows that when Jesus said, he that seeks to save his life will lose it? And he that seeks to, or he that loses his life will find it. That's like, come on, Jesus. But I didn't realize this till the other day. He, when he used the word, everybody say life. life. When the Greeks, when they wrote they didn't differentiate from the word life from the other types of the way they use it. It's like right, turn right. Would you spell that the same way as you would write a book? It sounds the same, but it's not the same word. They have different meanings, right? So that's the same way in the Greek. The Greeks say that they can say more in, in one word than we can then we can say in five sentences because their language is loaded with meaning. Their words are loaded with meaning. So and here's the example. Jesus said, he that seeks to save his life. And that word, that word life there, is, is, uh, it's not the word bios. It's where we get the word biology. Or, uh, yeah, that's the word bios, and it means biology. It's where we get our word biology. And it, it has to do a lot with this physical being. And he's not talking about that because he didn't come to save that. When I looked up that word, the word is not bios that he uses in other places. Uh, like, uh, for, let, let me just give you an example. Go over. You can look it up in um, Luke 8 and 14. Somebody jump over there real quick and let's dive into this. Is this all right? Luke 8 and 14, look at it, there it is. Uh, and that which fell among the thorns are they, which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and the pleasures of this life. That word there in that verse, is that word life there, is the word bios. B-I-O-S, it's where we get the word biology. Biological person. And that's the life he's talking about there. But now opposed to this word over here in Matthew 16, 25. Go there if you don't mind back there. 16, 25. And we'll read it. Matthew 16, 25. Uh, and uh, for whosoever will save his life, same word in English, life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So what is he talking about? What's he, what's he referring to? You don't mind if I take my coat off, do you? I wore this wild-looking shirt so you wouldn't have trouble watching me. <laughs> It'll be orange next week, not next week. So here, here's the idea. 
Uh, this word, I'll take off because I'm already sweating. But listen, so here's the idea. This word life in, in this verse is opposite. Let me give you one more. Um, go to John 1, 4. And I'm going to show you that these three words, life, are totally different. They, they, all of them mean something else. So John 1 and 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. All three of these different words, all three of these words, life, actually have different meanings to them. Now, I know that we, we normally don't, the thing is, so we've got three different words, same word in English, life, but it doesn't mean the same in the Greek in the original writing. In, in Luke 8 and 4, where it talked about it, it, it fell among the thorns and this life, that's the word bios. It has to do with actions, your, your body. Hello, somebody. Your body, this thing. But in, in what was the other one? In um, Matthew 16, 25, he that seeks to save his life will lose it. And he that loses life for my sake will find it. That's not the same word as bios. Guess what it is? Suke. It's the Greek word suke. And it's not talking about the physical. It's talking about, listen to this. This is really good. It's talking about the will. It's talking about your thinking. It's talking about your willpower. It's talking about things that really make up who you are. And over there where it says that he is the life of men, and in him was the light, and light was the life of men, right? Or the light of men. That word over there is the word zoe, which it actually means life, but it means divine life. In him was life, that God divine life. Is this making sense? That's zoe, divine life. And then you've got suke, which is mentally, the mind, the thinking, the willpower. And how many knows that you can bring this body to church and, and dress it up like it's safe, but if you don't change your thinking, you ain't really saved. It, it really has an impact of your ability to really maintain that kind of dedication and walk with God. It takes a change of mind. It takes a change of, and we say heart, but it really takes a change of your attitude and your will. You submit your will to him. That's why Martha and Mary were so diverse in their approach. Mary was, was one of them, the one that was in the kitchen doing all the cooking and stuff, complaining about the other one not coming up. And Jesus said, she's doing that thing which is, which is most necessary. Yeah which is most needful. She's submitting to my, to me, to her. She's laying at my feet. We're so busy because we think because being busy equates to being saved or active in the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean anything. If you've not fell at his feet and submitted yourself there, you've got still, you still got a long road to hoe. Because it takes that submission to him. Are you following this? It takes that submission to him to really come into that suke life, to the life that you've surrendered to God. People that don't bear any fruit. That's why Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, 
That word abide doesn't mean just hang around. It doesn't mean just show up. It means the word by is the word, the Greek word, menos, menos, M-E-N-O-S, meno, hello somebody. And it means to completely come eyeball to eyeball, face to face with, face within the face. It means that God gets in you so much that it, you don't change when circumstances change. You don't bow when things go, don't go your way. You don't break when things happen in your life because you have gone beyond, hello somebody, you've gone beyond the bios and you've entered into the suke which leads into the minnows which says I'm not just saved by word, I'm saved by determination and thought through the blood of Jesus that brings me to where I am and delivers me from who I used to be. I don't question a lot of things, but when I started seeing this, it makes it so much more plain. It makes it so much more easier to understand that he's saying he's not coming to save your flesh, he's coming to change your way of thinking. And your way of, and when you change the way you think, it changes everything. Your attitude, everything about you changes. Everything about you starts transforming. You used to be a caterpillar, now you start turning into a butterfly. And it's, in, a, in church, we think if we just bring our bodies and we, and we go through the religious stuff, that that equates to, well, they're saved. Ooh. But are they actually bearing fruit? We put the emphasis on Holy Ghost. I'm going to say something. That's going to, you're not going to like it. Most of you, some of you ain't going to like it. I'm glad everybody ain't here today. There's less chance for more people not to like what I'm about to say. And this come to me just as plain as day. The other day I was sitting on my porch and I was sitting there just meditating. I do it a lot. And this came to me and I'll just sit there and talk to the Lord. And I'll just say things like, Lord, thank you for a beautiful sky. Thank you for the clouds. And, you know, I just, and he'll talk back to me. I sit there long enough. To, I wait. I wait. I don't tell him what I want him to hear. I wait for an answer. So I heard this and it said, don't ever think, because I was asking Lord, why are we not seeing the impact of the church like it was in the early church? Why are we not seeing that? And here's what come to me. Because a, a major portion of today's church believes in their spirit without verbalizing it. And here, here's what, listen. We can't possibly believe that the disciples had the impact they had because they had two or three dialects. We think the emphasis was on them speaking in tongues. We think that's going to change the world. That's good. It's a gift. But that's not their, that wasn't their message. Their message was Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised the third day. Amen. I told you, you wouldn't, some of you wouldn't like that. But we think 
I don't know what it is, but somehow we think that that is the major evidence of having the Spirit of God inside of us. There's nowhere in the Bible you can show me that. I've looked. What Jesus said, Jesus didn't say you'll know them because I know churches are up in Lexington right now that are not where we are spiritually. Matter of fact, there are churches that most of us wouldn't go to. They're homosexual churches. They got them right up here in Lexington. They got them around. They're all everywhere. And they'll come in and listen. And I'm not picking. I'm just showing you an example. They'll hold hands and kiss each other and speak in some kind of tongue. How confusing is that? So you cannot base a person's walk with God because they speak in some kind of language. They got to have the fruit of the Spirit. Am I against tongues? No, I'm like Paul. I speak in tongues more than y'all. I pray in tongues constantly. But I don't equate that because Jesus didn't say, they will know you by your dialect. He said, they'll know you by the fruit that you bear, that the love you have one toward another. I wish somebody said, go ahead and preach. We've got to get this right. We've got to get this on track because if we don't allow the Spirit of God to literally change us, to literally transform our lives, who are we going to impact? What culture are we going to make? You see, that's why that when you really get this mind changed, this, this, this differential in your body, in your thinking, and you completely surrender your suke, your thinking, your willpower. How I many knows there's a lot of people that go to church, but they haven't submitted their willpower to God yet? They haven't submitted because they still do the things they did while they were out there in sin. So they haven't submitted their willpower, their thinking totally over to God. God wasn't saying, I'm going to be the king over your flesh. He said, I want to be the king over your thinking. And see, that doesn't float well in the church. Because, you know, like God's got God's to change. No, you've got to control yourself. You gotta, you gotta snatch your attitude up and say that ain't gonna fly. That ain't gonna do. That ain't gonna do. You can't, you can't go to church and hear a message about gossiping and then go out and gossip and justify your gossiping. Well, no, I need to. No, you don't. Shut up. Quit thinking evil about everybody. Quit talking about people. Listen, Brother Dave, you must love everybody. Well, I try. I try to love everybody. But I honestly can't say that I'm there there yet. I'm trying. There's there's people I don't like. In church. I'm I'm just being honest with you. I'm trying to love them. I wouldn't treat them bad or anything. I just don't like her attitude. I want to help him mature real fast, that old somebody. But he's been patient with me, so I guess I have to bear the weak and the feeble-minded. 
So, but here, let me get back on point. So God doesn't change. God doesn't, he expects you. Now their change will come, but it's through submission to him. Change will come, and say that with me. Change will come, but it's through submission to him. It's because the spirit will help you. The spirit of God will help you. It will help you if you'll let him. And what happens is in that exchange, as you start giving, submitting your will, your thoughts, your attitude towards him, he'll start changing you. And it does to a lot of, a lot of people don't happen overnight. It takes till almost to the day they die to see that change. I mean, they've just been, you know, and the Lord has to keep working on them. And, and it's like, it goes without saying, he's still working on me. Is he still working on you? Yeah. Every day he's working on me. Man, I'm preaching to y'all ain't saying nothing. It's, I know you wanted, to, you wanted to jump over the chairs today, but here, here we go. Because this will help you in the long run. The, 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 that thing, so you submit your thinking, God, I pray it all the time, God help me. Get my Lord, help me submit my will and my mind to you. Help, help me get my stuff. Give me the strength to get my willpower under control. That means my temper too. And my tantrums too. How many knows that we still have tantrums and some of our temper tantrums? Just because you get mad doesn't mean you should get your way. Because our way's not always right. I know. Phyllis tells me it all the time. I'm, not, I'm just kidding. But the attitude that we have is really reflected through our submission to him. That's why he said, if you abide in me, if you don't change, if you don't waver, when think, that's why people that when you see times getting tough, they differentiate or up or down. They're allowing their emotions to control their attitude. And once you submit that to God, it literally puts you on the path of you're submitting it to the Spirit of God, and he will tell you, I'm going to show you how to get control over this by submitting completely to him, to the will of the Spirit of God. For we don't even know how to pray, but the Spirit inside of us when we don't know what to pray, when we don't know what to say. You ever been hit with something? Listen, uh, where Clark was uh, in the funeral home, I was walking out of the bathroom and everybody was about gone, except for the family. And the funeral home director's wife was walking through there and I was coming out of the bathroom and she looked and she said, oh, there you are, I've been looking for you. I said, oh, well, here I am, you know. And she said, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay, let's talk. And she just stood right there, and she said, I don't know what to do. I said, about what? She said, I don't know how to handle this. And I'm like, huh? What are you talking about? She said, I don't know how to handle my son being taken. Her young son, the big picture they had on the back wall, that was their son that was supposed to take over the funeral home. They were going to retire. 
he had an aneurysm. Had, was out there at the funeral home working one day. We all know it. He went to school with all the kids. And don't think it's the wrong way, Jonah. I think Jessica had aspirations sometime long. Was that right? Did I, did I understand that right? No, you were just friends with him, right? Oh, that was somebody else. Watch her, John. Watch her. She's tricky. I'm just, I guess I misunderstood. You're just friends with him, right? All of them were friends with him. They all know. They went to school together. But he was going to, and he was a good guy. I don't know how I got that so wrong, Jessica. I'm sorry. Oh, oh. <laughs> I, 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 like, I like church participation. <laughs> Kelsey, you want to get involved in this? No, you're saying no. <laughs> so, you, so I said, what? One day he was working, and, and we all know him, and he had, a, he had a headache, and he went home. He said, I'm going to go home and take a bath. I'm, I, don't, I just feel I got a headache. And, I, and he went home and got in the, made a, the bathtub, got down in the water, and an aneurysm burst in his head, and he died right there in the bathtub. And she was beside herself, and she just started crying. And here I am grieving for my brother. And she just grabs me and starts crying on my shoulder, like, what do I do? What? And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I can't even speak straight right now myself. So I stood there and talked to her, and we just talked maybe five minutes. And it seemed like it helped her. And it seemed, I, I think, I don't know, you know. I, I left my, she, I said, I left the door open. I said, you can call me. We'll, I said, call me. We'll come down and talk with you. I was like, but I, at the moment, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. So I just took her by the hand and I said, let's just pray that God will comfort you. Sometimes you have, let me, let me change that. It, we would be far better off if we would let the Spirit of God help us through those difficult times instead of trying to produce some plastic answer that we have learned, you know, like the button we push when somebody calls, I'm driving, can't answer right now, that little thing that's predetermined. We've got answers already figured out that we're going to give somebody, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm blessed. You may have been having the worst day ever, but you're saying, oh, I'm blessed. And no, you're not. Well, you're blessed, but you're having the worst day ever. You need somebody to pray with you. And so we've learned that behavior to get through or get past, and literally it doesn't help anything. We need God to help us get through that stuff. We need the Spirit of God to help us. That's why he said, listen, and we interpret it like this, uh, that when we don't know how to pray, it, the Spirit will pray for us with moanings and groanings in the inner man. And, and, and it's not just speaking in tongues thing. It's the, it goes way deeper than that. It goes down inside there. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a groaning that, that, that come, when Jesus, when, when Lazarus was there, it said he moaned, he groaned in the Spirit. And wept. How are you hearing me? I believe sometimes we we miss God helping us in our lives because we try to dictate to God how to do it. And God would fix a lot of us if we would let Him get involved in our lives and pray for us. He could fix some things if we didn't have a predetermined mind of how I'm gonna deal with this. So God didn't come to save your 
flesh. He come to get that to captivate. If you will allow him, if you'll submit your mind, your will to the presence of God, to his word, to who he is, it says that you, uh, he that loses his suke, his will, his thinking, his attitude, for his sake, he'll find true life. He'll find true living if we'll surrender it and give it to God. He's not trying to get just your body, though you offer it as a living sacrifice, sanctify it, keep it under control. But if we can get our will and our thinking and our attitudes and submit them to him as he said. Can you pull that verse up again? Look at what it says. Read it again. The other one. I think it's Luke. Luke. Uh, no, it's, 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 it's Matthew 16, 25. Look what it says. You'll get it. It's coming. For whosoever will save his life, his suke, you want to save your thinking, save your will, save your attitude, save your heart. Whosoever will save his suke shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life, listen, oh, let me read this back. For whosoever will save his life, his suke, in other words, you keep it under control of yourself, and shall, he'll lose it. And whosoever will lose his suke, for my sake, shall find it. So if you will allow him to take by submission your willpower, your thinking, your abilities to process thought. If you'll run it through the filter of the presence of God, the spirit of God and the word of God, he said, you'll find life like you've never found it before. But you gotta submit it to him. How many of those in order to get a hold of something, you have to submit something? How do I say? It? It's like this, what about this? In music theory, in order to achieve a higher level of playing, you almost have to lose what you have learned over here. And you don't, for, it's not like it's not there, but you have to be willing to step over into the mystery of what is, what is, what is contingent, what is available. Does that make sense? So God gave you time. Did he not give you time? Gave you time and you time and you time. Gave all of us time in this natural realm. But in order to grasp a hold of something, we have to take that which God has given to us and submit it into an arena where there is no time. Amen. No limit. Oh, I wish somebody, let's step on out here. And what happens is in that exchange, for what is temporal or temporary in time, and we submit that to him, what is the exchange is, is he offers to something to us that comes out of the eternal that is not controlled by time. Hmm. This, this will that I've given to him, this time-limited thinking that I've given to him, submit to him, he exchanges it for something that is eternal. So now the thoughts that I have doesn't come out of the time-space realm. It comes out of an eternal realm. It comes out of a realm that's full of mystery, 
full of unexplainable things. You can't explain how you can speak a word, hello somebody. A word, hello somebody. You can cast a spell. Oh, Lord Jesus. Your words are like a spell. Don't tell your body how weak it is. Tell it because you're casting a spell over it. Why do you think they call it spelling? Because your letters are forming words and your words have power. Your words have power. So whether you feel it or not, you've got to say the positive things because your body doesn't know the difference. Why did he say in his word, thou shalt not say I am sick? Start saying you're sick. Say long enough and before you know it, you'll start being sick. Now I'm not told, Lord. I've done got out here in the, in the deep water. So you've got to start saying things that come out of the realm of the spirit. You've got to call those things that are not as though they are. You've got to say to those things that are as though they are not. And you can't change your... You can't change your attitude towards that. You've got to keep that, that spiritual mindset that God said, the Holy Spirit said. He's prompting you to speak life and not death. He's telling you to discover something over here in the mysterious realm of the spirit eternal. Praise God and pull it over here by the exchange of you giving something from over here that has limits and limited ability that you're stepping over here. That's why the ecclesia, the church, praise God, has stepped over into the realm of religion and God said, I didn't call you to step in the realm of religion. I've called you to come out of that and step over here into a realm, praise God, that is unexplainable but yet undeniable. Look at somebody say unexplainable but yet undeniable. There's power in the Holy Ghost. There's power in the Spirit of God. There's the ability to step out of the natural into the supernatural. If you're willing, now, I've, listen, I'm, I'm getting a lot of strange looks this morning. But as we gravitate towards that, this end time, now, how many of you are more aware of, as we go along, stuff's happening? Stuff, bad stuff's happening. Stuff that you know they're lying to you about. I ain't talking about conspiracy theories. I ain't... I, but stuff that are just right there, you can see it. You know it's happening. They're doing it. They're, and people are going like, we're not blind to this. We're not blind to it. And as we see that day approaching, we see that day coming. Should the church be more or less intense with the supernatural stuff or shall we be more intensified? I'm not, I'm not any less concerned I'm very concerned, but my focus is not on what they're doing. My focus in is what God wants to do. Why, why did these two sections clap and y'all didn't do nothing? 
The ideal of it is, is I'm not focused on what the devil can do. I'm focused in on what God's going to do. What's God, how, how's God going to use you in this? How's God going to carry you through this? How is God going to, how is God, what does God want to use? And in order for him to use that, we've got to get out of the stereotype of church. We've got to get out of the stereotype of religion. They, they, did you realize, and we're going to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, they had a fashion and a form of what they did thinking they're going to bring the presence of God. We go through a fashion and form just like they did. We're not so far removed from them. Three songs, a sermon, an offering. They went through the fact, listen, when, when right before Jesus and John the Baptist was born, uh, there was, they, were going through the, they were going through the motions of religion, but they had, didn't realize that the glory of God had departed. It no longer wanted to reside in that place where there was no faith and no believing in what he was going to do. The glory had already departed. And I'm asking you today to examine ourselves and ask ourselves the question, do we want to just go through the forms and the fashions? Do we just want to plug in to what has always been that way? Or do we want to experience God in a way that is unexplainable? Do we want God? Because you can't come in the same way that you come in every week. You have to come in with a greater expectation. You have to come in believing God that today somebody's going to get healed. Today somebody's going to get delivered. Today somebody's getting set free. Today somebody's getting saved. Because here's, here's the clincher. More often than not, we come in with the attitude that that preacher better have the goods today because I feel down. I feel broken. I feel frustrated. I feel trapped. I feel addicted. I'm sad. Did you ever wonder why or how many times the preacher goes like, wow, you can preach heaven high, hell hot. You can preach the mysteries of God. And the same attitude comes forth every week. Because we love entertainment. We love to have it our way. And God is saying until that mindset changes and we get the mind of the spirit. Why can't we have church before we have church? Why, 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 can't we, why can't we experience the presence of God before Gary gets up and sings 10 songs? Yeah. Amen. Why, why, can't, why can't we have people that engage with the presence of God before Kelly sings her lungs out? Amen. We can. Yes. We can if we make up our mind that we're not settling for the status quo. Yes. You can sit there if you want to, but I'm going to engage in the presence of God. Well, I need God to bless me. Here's a news flash. He's already blessed you. You're here. He's already blessed you. Listen to this. Paul and his partner beat up, ripped up. And their mindset was not to come to the house of God and complain. It wasn't to come and share with others how they were mistreated so that they could get pats on the back. 
They come in there and go like, hey, guys, we were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Let's have church. Verse 9. Let me just read it. Let's just go up there. Hebrews 12 and 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. And we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits? That's the spirit he's talking about. He's not the Father of just your body. He's the Father of your spirit. That part that gets born again. That part that we need to surrender to him. Holy, fully, our mind, our will, our thoughts, our willpower. That's why we fear in our flesh to put ourselves in harm's way. But God said, you're not to control that flesh part. You're submit that thinking to me. And I'll tell you, if it hadn't been for men like David Wilkerson, a little skinny, long-legged hillbilly boy from the hills of North Carolina, to go to New York City when the Mau Mau's and the other gangs were, were, were running rampant in the street, and preach to them and being slapped and criticized and ostracized and beat up for the gospel. We wouldn't have the Nikki Cruises. We wouldn't have those leaders now that, that are leading other gang members to Christ. Somebody has to say, Lord, help me to submit my will to your, not my will, but thy will be done. Come on, how many knows we need more of that instead of more of the flesh getting what it wants? Because flesh will say, stay away from the dangerous. Flesh will say, stay away from the controversial. Stay away from conflict. But the Spirit is saying, no, stand up and be counted. Take thought not for your life, but bring the gospel to the forefront of your life in your thinking, in your willpower. God knows I will go anywhere, anytime, any place he calls me to go. Now that makes Phyllis nervous. Because she knows I'll do it. And I have done it. And I'll do it again. Willingly. Because this life is not my own. This has been bought with a price. I want to ask you a question today. How far, really, how far, really, are you holding yourself away from God's will? How far, really, are you holding back? I, I hear it all the time. I, I, I sense it a lot. It's too much to go to church two or three times a week.
I'm concerned with people that think like that. After the horrible price he paid. It's too much to submit my thinking to God. I want to, no. He said, if you're going to love me, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. He's not so much looking for you to submit because that will come as a secondary consequence of you giving your will and your thoughts to God. He's asking you to submit your mind, your thinking, your willpower to him. He's the father of spirit. He come to bring back that mindset that Adam lost in the garden. Think about it. When he told Adam, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, thou shalt surely die. What happened? From that, He didn't die physically. Mentally, he died. Spiritually, he died. But he didn't die physically. So what Jesus did was to come not to just bring you.